Now we're going to have the half-hour news from my friend Samantha Butler. The World Health Organization has warned that further restrictions on movement could be necessary to bring the resurgence of COVID-19 back under control and sacrifices would have to be made. But the WHO's Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said countries could not and should not give up the fight. We must do all we can to protect health workers and the best way to do that is for all of us to take every precaution we can to reduce the risk of transmission for ourselves and others. No one wants more so-called lockdowns. But if we want to avoid them, we all have to play our part. The fight against this pandemic is everybody's business. More than a million people have died worldwide due to the pandemic. The U.S. Senate has begun a session during which it's expected to confirm the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett as a Supreme Court justice. Republican senators have been praising the religious convictions of President Trump's nominee, who they said would stand up for Christian conservatives, interpret the law and not seek to legislate. Here's the BBC's Ali McBall. Senate Democrats are still desperately trying to delay the vote to confirm Donald Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. There appears to be little that can be done to stop this process, though, and with votes in the Republican-led Senate likely to go along party lines, Amy Coney Barrett is due to be awarded a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court, heavily tilting the bench, conservative, and ensuring Donald Trump has even more of a legislative impact on American society long into the future, whether he wins this election or not. The latest opinion polls ahead of the U.S. presidential election suggest the Democratic challenger Joe Biden is increasing his lead in several key swing states. Both Mr. Biden and President Trump have been outwooing voters. In the Middle East and North Africa, a poll of opinions has found that about half of those questioned think neither candidate would be particularly good for the region. Here's the BBC's Frank Gardner. There's plenty of food for thought for President Trump and Joe Biden. The incumbent receives backing for his tough posture towards Iran, including the reintroduction of sanctions. And 57% of Iraqi respondents said they approved of the U.S. decision to assassinate the Iranian Revolutionary Guards leader, Qasem Soleimani, earlier this year. But Mr. Biden comes out slightly better, partly due to the unpopularity of President Trump's decision to move the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, something opposed by 89% of those polled. 60,000 residents south of Los Angeles have been ordered to leave their homes, which are being threatened by a fast-moving wildfire. Strong winds have fueled the blaze, which is burning out of control near the city of Irvine. In northern and central California, electricity has been cut to hundreds of thousands of homes. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Tewerton, your co-host. Today's Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about COVID-19, about flu jabs and about banned beaches. Hong Kong recorded eight new coronavirus cases yesterday, none of which were locally acquired infections. And some are now calling for adding more countries to the high-risk group for arrivals as numbers climb in Europe. And some tourism industry representatives staged a drive-by protest yesterday calling for further financial assistance from the government and reopening of the border. And as the flu season approaches, what if the winter surge uh, coincides with another wave of coronavirus infections? Could our medical system cope? 
cope? Are there enough flu shots around? And after nine today, we're going to be talking about the continued closure of beaches, gazetted beaches. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments. As ever, our number is 233-88266. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page. That's backchat on rthk radio 3 and uh, join the public conversation there. As I say, we're going to be talking about uh, focusing on beaches uh, after uh, the uh, nine o'clock news and the second part of the programme. Uh, we're joined for the uh, first part of the programme this morning by uh, Dr. Kwok Kaki, civic party lawmaker, and Dr. Gabriel Choi, who's president of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Uh, Dr. Kwok, we'll st- maybe start with you. Good morning. Thank you very much morning, for, for, for joining us. Uh, what's the latest on the on, on the flu? Because we you know there was a lot of concerns that that, that just aren't enough uh, uh, flu vaccines uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, what is the what's the latest on the supply like? <laughs> now. It, um Last year, we are able to um, inoculate 1.4 million of this uh, influenza vaccine. And uh, this year, only on this year, we uh, the initial order from the government is uh, less than 900,000. Uh, uh, fortunately, last week, the government has uh, placed another order, another order of... Yeah, sorry, Dr. New vaccine, yeah, for the for the um, for Hong Kong, the whole territory. We 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 do not know um, how much of this uh, vaccine will be allocated to the uh, uh, family petitioner, but uh, adding together will be one point slightly more than one million one point uh, one million sorts of this influenza, and the other. Uh, uh, may not be able to count is uh, the order uh, from ordinary uh, family doctors and the GP. Now that uh, is quite difficult to to have the figures at this moment. But uh, number one, there was uh, increased certainly there's increased awareness of the public uh, regarding the vaccination. So over the uh, many clinics in Hong Kong, many uh, private hospitals in Hong Kong, people were told that they don't have any uh, vaccine. Uh, to be uh, uh, to be given, so there was a search for the vaccine in every single district in Hong Kong, and uh, there was out of stock in many. Even in the private hospital, they have one out of stock of this vaccine. So I think definitely the government has to do something to uh, release the vaccine which has been stopped because um, the uh, individual doctors may not be able to order a sizable amount which will be useful for the, uh, for the whole territory because, you know, um, normally they only um, order the numbers which is equivalent to the last year's uh, demand. But this year, uh, at the first week or the second week of this uh, vaccination program, many of these clinics have been one off. So even the private hospital, no vaccine. So we are waiting for the government to release a, a, a sizable numbers of the vaccine to the public sector so that, you know, uh, people which is not eligible to be uh, given the vaccine uh, in the hospital authority, Department of Health and the elderly home can seek the vaccination uh, in their individual uh, family doctors. And But uh, interestingly, um, on last week there were some reports in Korea and also in Taiwan that uh, one of the major suppliers for Hong Kong, the Sanofi, was told to have some um, undecided, un- undesirable effect as a result of the of the vaccine. 
Uh, of course, in Korea, we have 25 deaths. As a result, I was told uh, it was related uh, initially, but was uh, declined by the Korean government. Has. And up to today, uh, there wasn't any concrete evidence to, to tell us that the uh, deaths is related to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the vaccination. But in Singapore, uh, since Singapore is quite similar to Hong Kong, the Sanofi is a major supplier, so the Singaporean government has now stopped all the vaccination program. Um, I'm afraid that we need to consider uh, at this moment whether we, you know, at this very point to try to in, uh, convince more people to receive the vaccine because, you know, there, there's, there will be some... Uh, um, I, I'm afraid there will be some... Um, you know, change of the attitude of the people towards the vaccine until the facts has been clarified. Sorry, yeah. just, to, just to clarify, as I understand it, the, the, the flu that was going to be used in Hong Kong is not the one that was used in South Korea. Is that right? Yes, yes, because in Korea there's two factors of vaccine. Number one is so, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just saying, just to make this clear. So we, that's not good, that's not being used in Hong Kong. Not being uh, because the the stock is different. Number yeah. one. Yeah. But um, the people is you know is more concerned about the effect in Taiwan because Taiwan uh, they using same similar uh, vaccine supplied by Sanofi. There was there was no death. Definitely, there was no death in Taiwan, but it's, it's some undesirable de- effect. But we do not know exactly the details of what kind of undesirable effect. Because every now and then, uh, when we give in, when we give the vaccine, there will be some, like you know, very minor ailment, like headache, uh, mouth fever, uh, you know, the pain over the side, which is quite common. Uh, but for the, I have, I never, I haven't heard of any major side effect uh, as a result of the of the of the uh, flu vaccine. We have at this very moment, there's tens of millions of these vaccine has been given worldwide, globally. So uh, you know, if we wait uh, against the numbers of the so-called the reported side undesirable effect and the numbers of vaccine given, I think. I can have a initial response that our vaccination, our vaccination program and the vaccine is still very safe and no need to worry too much. But the government has to do something, uh, you know, returning uh, to the supply to seek more information just to reassure the people that, you know, uh, vaccine will be safe because that will be very important. I don't want to I, have I, I don't the... Do you want to... No, 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 KK, um, I, I was just going to ask that first, uh, there is definitely a heightened awareness among uh, Hong Kong people, uh, you know, to go for the vaccine, but, um, you know, many clinics are, are out of them. Uh, so that that's the first point. Um, and now it is uh, actually get, getting difficult for the doctors to, to get hold of these uh, flu jabs. And 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 then um, and then you said the government should do something, but but then I I, I think you know for the um, uh, family doctors in private clinics, uh, can they do a bit more? They can place order, but uh, you know whatever order they place at this moment, uh, there was there wasn't any stock available. Number one and number two, because uh, as individual doctors, unlike those working in the government, they you know when they when we place a new order each and every single year. We don't know exactly how many of those people will, you know, at the end of the day will, will turn up for the vaccination. There's, 
only a educated guess. So some of them they will have a guess which is you know more more. So what positive. what is the best time to take this flu shot? Is it um, could it be a little bit later? So people are actually in panic, uh, including some of my friends and relatives. You know, <laughs> no need to panic because you know that the flu takes uh, only two weeks to be effective, and normally the uh, the peak season will be uh, in uh, you know the coldest season. Like in the um, normally will be in uh, January and yeah. the February. So I don't know. You know, should these people should be very uh, afraid of this vaccine because you, you, we don't need to be so uh, you know so afraid of the uh, of the of the disease. <laughs> uh, of course, on one hand, we 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 would like to encourage more people to take the vaccine. You know, that is the best. Prevention uh, for the for the influenza, particularly for the so-called high-risk group, like the elderly, for patient, uh, or people with uh, chronic diseases. Um, you know, they they should be given priority, or even children, because of the death uh, or the um, severe complication is is certainly more pronounced in these in children and also in the elderly. So uh, we should have given the highest priority, and that why the government uh, has done a good job. Okay, let's, uh, go, to, let's go to maybe to uh, Dr. Choi now, uh, Gabriel Choi, President of the Medical Association. Good morning to you, Dr. Choi. Thanks for, for joining us. What's, what's your take on this? Do you think the government should be, uh, you know, giving out the, uh, the vaccine to those high-risk groups, should be keeping some aside and not distributing them, not, not uh, handing them to uh, private practitioners? And they're, 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 they're earmarked for high-risk groups, are they? So they're given to the private sector, but they can only be well, used by elderly. Is it not clear that the flu vaccine should be mostly taken up by the high-risk high group rather than the low-risk low group because of the uh, low mortality and the, uh, and the higher risk of those uh, people who are elderly or uh, with uh, multiple uh, disease? Uh, so uh, for those... Uh, who are waiting for the supply from the drug firms that are supposed to be arriving in uh, November. So by November, and which is before December deadline for the end of December deadline for the flu shot, uh, uh, there should be some extra supply. The point now is whether the Sanofi scare will actually deter people from getting the shot and uh, deter their enthusiasm for uh, getting a jab because uh, prior to that they were scared by the publicity of the double disease. Now uh, with the uh, deaths incurred from uh, the uh, Korean incidents, uh, which is unclear up to now, uh, there, there has been uh, some uh, discussion even within the public. 
discussion of whether we should continue with the Senate Egypt. So uh, the, the 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 need for the flu shot may be deterred, and uh, we may not really need that many when the time comes along. Right. Uh, what are your thoughts then? Um, you know, are these flu shots uh, safe, or are they like previous years? Well, normally there is a one in million chance of getting some serious side effects. Serious side effects being acting on the nervous system uh, with a weakness or paralysis. So uh, there, there used to be a one in million, million chance. Even one doctor in the past get this side effect. Now, uh, we are not sure whether the deaths in Korea is directly related to Zenovi's uh, uh, vaccine. And we await uh, further uh, investigations before we can confirm. But even the news itself is enough to cause uh, unrest amongst the population here in Hong Kong. Whether they want to continue with the jabs, they will ask the doctors whether uh, you are giving me the Zenovi jabs or whether you are giving the other two firms. So um, uh, it's, it, it, I, 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 I think the, the, the supply will, will be met uh, and the demand will be lesser. And anyway, with uh, proper masking and social distancing and hand washing, the risk of getting uh, influenza is much less, uh, should be much less than the years before. Yeah, I understand. I think Benjamin Cowan said a couple of weeks ago that uh, there's actually very, very few cases, uh, almost no cases uh, registered over the summer. Is that right? Or since last year, basically? Yes, that's right. Uh, we have, uh, uh, there, there has not been a uh, local endemic of a flu during the summer season mm. this year mm. because of the masking. And also in the spring, um, there were fewer cases than the years uh, before, uh, also because uh, people were staying at home more and um, and they were properly masked. Yes, I think the, the, the social situation itself actually created a situation whereby the incidence of flu is, uh, was less during the year. Yeah. Koki, do you need a flu jab? Do you really need a flu jab if you're, say, not at a high-risk group? Is there much point in having one? Um, uh, I think the the point is that whether we should, uh, given the flu, is, flu jabs, it actually depends on the uh, the supply. And I agree with Dr. Choi's uh, observation. Last year, when we were actually in the winter surge, uh, this year, the numbers of cases reported is actually half of those uh, in previous years. So it was very clear that, you know, the the uh, help actually gained from wearing a mask, uh, social distancing, maybe very effective uh, against the flu. I, I would, I would uh, anticipate this year's uh, flu uh, surge will be much less than before. Number one, because we have have more stringent measures against this uh, social uh, distancing and, and the, when we are doing a lot of uh, you know activities outside. And number two, in fact, we are getting more extensive flu after, uh, compared to last year. So uh, that was uh, some good news for us.
and I I was just like last winter, the numbers of uh, mortality and numbers of severe cases will be dropped tremendously, tremendously. Yes. So I think um, we don't need to be panic about this full uh, full vaccine, but uh, even in the in the in the in the community or family settings, you know, we should give priority to those uh, elderly chronic diseases, people with chronic diseases, and children. And right now, in the in the children or the primary primary school children or kindergarten, the the cover the coverage from the uh, influenza scheme is quite extensive nowadays. Um, most of these uh, children, if they wanted to be given, uh, at the last year's figure is more than forty percent. I would say this year will be more than 50% of those eligible children will be receiving this uh, flu shot. A lot of these children, a lot of the children, when I asked in, in my district, in my community, they said they are already given the, the flu vaccine. I think that is a, certainly is a good news. Okay, you, you mean the schools um, are now responsible to do that or the district health clinics? Uh, in fact, it's, it's an outreach program. Uh, which is actually initiated by the Department of Health, uh, they will uh, try to match the schools with uh, individual GP, family doctors, and they will be given uh, the full shots and they will just carry the, the vaccine to the school to arrange a certain days for the whole school, maybe the whole class to be given this uh, full vaccine. I think that is a very good measure. In fact, in many countries like Taiwan, United States, UK, all, most of these full shots at the children is given at the school. Uh, we were, we all have the experience of having this um, vaccination program in school when we are in the primary school, uh, except the, the influenza uh, vaccine. So for nowadays, it was all covered by this uh, so-called school vaccination program. There is a very good uh, new development, and I, I would say in the near future, uh, the death or the uh, severe complication as a result of, uh, of the influenza will be dropped tremendously as, as a result of this okay. well, uh, There's also some controversy and discussion over the issue of, of uh, making uh, testing mandatory or allowing mandatory testing. Uh, on our Facebook page, uh, Jean says, I did not realise testing was not mandatory for symptomatic patients until now. If we can mandate masks, social distancing, quarantine and closure of public places, why not testing? Considering a new policy, one has to consider the pros and cons of the policy. In my mind, the pros of mandatory testing far outweigh the cons. Beneficial for the patient, their close contacts and the community in general. I'm surprised that critics and experts harp on a single point to dismiss a policy. Would you tell a prostitute I think you may have HIV, but better not get tested. Otherwise, you won't be able to work. Hong Kong has done well so far, so let's not let our guard down now. And uh, Sarah says, uh, in response, testing positive means being incarcerated in hospital. Some people may not want that. So if testing is mandatory, when you go to the doctors, then some people will avoid the doctors and we have a much higher risk of both spread and death through patients not being treated. As now the doc can persuade someone to go to a test or go to a hospital. This saves lives. And Jean says, I completely agree. And the cohort of patients will be lost whether or not there is mandatory testing or not, as those patients are unlikely to be Persuadable. It's the other subset of patients that will go for the mandatory test that may make a, a difference. Dr Choi, what's, what's your view on this? Do you think mandatory testing uh, would help or do you think it would... Uh, uh, well, it, people would hire? Non-mandatory test testing for symptomatic patients. 
Concerns of these patients, for example, it might just be a common cold, um, and and is it because of the inconvenience or is it because of the cost? Well, it is fairly inconvenient. Even if the doctor supplies, the doctor will have difficulty in supplying all the test kits because they are for as take it such as down four thousand general practitioners. You have to the government even now has not been able to send all the testing kits to the 4,000 doctors uh, on a regular basis. So we need to stock up all these testing kits. And then you need to talk to the patient to advise them how to do it. And then the patient has to do this on an empty stomach in the morning at around 7 o'clock. And then between 8.30 to 9.30, they go to a, to a clinic, a designated government clinic, to place the bottle in, the, in a box for a test to be done. The test will be... Uh, ordinarily, if it's not too crowded, uh, the test result, if positive, will be announced within two days. But if the test result is negative in the past, uh, doctors have to wait for a, a full week or more before the test result is available when the, when the test number has, uh, has shot up. So the other, the other question we need to ask government is, are they ready to cope? With the large, large load, if uh, all the people are required, or almost all, all the patients who see who are seeing the doctors for minor ailments are required to do the test, whether they are able to cope with this, or whether they are not able to cope with this, and the test results are lined up or, or uh, delayed for uh, over a week before it is available to the to the patients and to the doctors. 
Okay. Just just before you go, we just got like a minute left or so. Uh, in the second part of the program, as I said, we wanted to talk about beaches. Now, I know people, a lot of people are quite upset about the fact that the beaches are still closed. Dr. Choi, what's your view? Do you think the beaches should remain closed? The, the, if we are not, if we are con- need to continue with the masking, I think the beaches uh, should remain uh, closed because in the experience we are seeing from the European countries and the states, uh, the beaches and the crowdedness and the uh, unmasking are one of the factors which lead to an upsurge in number of COVID patients. Okay, so you say keep them closed. Uh, Dr. Kwok, briefly, do, do you agree? <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, you know, rather controversial because the risk of uh, catching the disease is not by swimming. It's by the social activity at the, at the beaches. So if we actually doing a very stringent, uh, you know, the, the pressure of four person in the outdoor activities, the risk of uh, spreading is quite low. In fact, the most dangerous part is actually at the changing room mm. where people is crowded together. So we, we need to figure out how to protect the people when they need to, you know, take a bath, uh, a shower after, after going to the, to the, to the uh, beaches. Yeah. It's more related to the, the measures than the activity itself. Right now, the beaches is very crowded. If we are not doing anything, then the risk will be become prominent. So we need to do something. So we have a quota on the limit of the numbers of people which can arrive at the beaches. Numbers of people can be, you know, allowed at the changing room. This needs to be done before we open the beaches. Okay, well, we're going to follow that up in the second part of the programme, as I say. In the meantime, thank you very much indeed to Dr. Kwok Kaki, the civic party lawmaker, and Dr. Gabriel Choi, who's president of the Hong Kong Medical Association. The weather fine, dry during the day. Temperatures today up to about 28 degrees uh, and uh, windy and cloudy with a few rain patches in the next couple of days. 25 degrees now, humidity is at 67%. People have died worldwide due to the pandemic. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat, uh, first one of the week. It's uh, Tuesday uh, with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID-19. We were talking about the idea of mandatory testing, uh, talking about uh, flu vaccines and supply, especially those concerns over safety following some deaths in uh, uh, Korea. Uh, we're also going to be turning... There's also the question uh, also, yeah, of uh, um, whether we should be uh, blocking more people or, or putting more obstacles in the way of people coming from uh, Europe. We have a list of uh, high-risk uh, destinations and uh, some have suggested that more European countries should be added to that as numbers climb uh, there. Uh, there's also the question of uh, beaches and that's going to be uh, the main focus uh, for uh, this part of the programme. If you've got any thoughts uh, on that, uh, backchat at rthk.hk uh, is our email address uh, if you're in favour or against the idea of uh, keeping uh, beaches closed. We'd love to hear from you. Backchat at rthk.hk uh, comment uh, this is uh, on the mandatory testing from s who says once the, this is an email once there is mandatory testing are we going to expose those with covid to those with no covid 
Why put those pregnant women, elderly, vulnerable people in the same queue as others and increase the risk of COVID? If you want to be tested, then please go ahead. Do not impose on others. That comes uh, from uh, S. Joining us for this part of the programme now, we have uh, uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics in the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And we hope to be joined soon by Panchak Kerr, who's the Southern District Councillor representing Stanley and the Sheko constituency. Professor Cowley, good morning to you. Thanks for, for, for joining us again. Well, where do you stand on this issue of the mandatory testing? Do you think it's uh, helpful or do you think it uh, you know, kind of alienates people? I think it will be difficult to enforce mandatory testing in Hong Kong. I know it's been really successful in mainland China and right now uh, in Xinjiang province they've just done another mass testing exercise with mandatory testing. But in Hong Kong, I think it's much more difficult to operationalise, to implement. I mean, surely um, the government can have a more um, efficient and convenient procedures for those people who, who would like to be tested in you know, setting up more testing centres. Would that help? Yeah, it's also an enormous expense, right? So you've got to trade off the amount of money that you spend on all of this testing with what you, you ultimately get out of it. And I think the mass testing exercise in September showed us that we can spend hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars to find a small number of positives. And if we were to repeat that exercise now, we'd spend the same amount of money because we're doing the same number of tests or more, but even fewer positives. Mm. Right. What about the issue of uh, the flu vaccines? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Would it make any difference, substantial difference? Again, is it, is it, is it worth it uh, going all in for... Uh, you know, widespread flu vaccinations? So in the past 10, 20, 30 years, we've had an average of about 1,000 flu deaths every winter. And flu vaccine makes a big difference. If we didn't use flu vaccine, we'd have even more hospitalizations and more deaths because flu vaccine is effective in protecting particularly older people against being hospitalized with flu and even dying with flu. Uh, but right now, for the past six months of this year, we've hardly had any flu cases in Hong Kong. Um, it's been zero flu for almost the entire past six months, and I'm not sure how flu is going to get back in this winter. Of course, if it does get back in, there's a potential that it can spread, and I think it is important for, for elderly to get vaccinated. But I, I don't think we need to use more flu vaccine this year than we've used in previous years because I don't think flu poses a bigger threat this year than in previous so, years. So the reason is really because of the social distancing and people are staying at home, working from home and, and not really going out. Is that right? All the social distancing that we did back in February, January and February, actually got rid of flu. Flu went from a... We had a winter peak in January. It went to zero very, very quickly, and it's never come back. Uh, because of the 14-day quarantine on people coming into Hong Kong, that means if someone did come into Hong Kong with flu they'd be recovered by the time they get out of the 14-day quarantine. So flu hasn't had a chance to come into the city, whereas in any other typical year, it'd be coming in all the time with people, visitors, and, and with people returning to the city. So I'm not sure how flu is going to get back in now. It's certainly not going to be easy for it. And because of the social distancing we're doing for COVID, flu will not have much chance to spread either. So I don't think flu poses a very big threat this winter. But of course, we would prefer not to have a flu epidemic uh, at the same time as any, any kind of COVID surge. So vaccination is still a, a very sensible precaution. OK, uh, and what about the issue of uh, beaches? Uh, you've expressed uh, doubt in the past about, about whether there's any need to, to uh, 
uh, close the uh, beaches. Let's, let's, uh, this is what the uh, LCSD uh, has to say on this, the Leisure and Cultural Services Department. Uh, the epidemic situation in Hong Kong has not yet been fully stabilised. Silent transmission chains still exist in the community. Due to the open environment of the bathing beaches, it is difficult to enforce the epidemic prevention and social distancing measures, as implemented in sports venues and swimming pools, such as restricting the number of users, conducting body temperature screening and spacing out users. Opening the beaches now is likely to attract large crowd of beachgoers resulting in overcrowded beaches and overloaded changing rooms and toilet facilities. Added to these is that beachgoers tend not to wear masks while sunbathing and after having a swim. To minimise the risk of the epidemic spread, it's prudent not to open the beaches at this stage. The LCSD will continue to monitor the situation and review the opening arrangement of beaches having regard to the development of the epidemic situation in Hong Kong. That's from the, the LCSD. Uh, Dr Cowling, do you take those points? I was in Mong Kok yesterday, and there were phenomenal crowds with no social distancing. So I, I agree with the point they made, that if they were to open the beaches, there could be a lot of people on the beaches. But I think it would be a lot safer to have the people on the beaches than it is to have them in the shopping malls and in the city uh, indoors, where there's a much higher risk of transmission than outdoors, under the sun, with the wind blowing, on beaches with or without masks. So I, I think it's time to reopen the beaches now. Of course, if COVID numbers resurge, then just like other parts of the city, beaches may be closed again. But right now, since the numbers of cases are low, I think it's a really good opportunity to open beaches and encourage people to get outside. Uh, what about, uh, you, you mentioned the, the masks, but yeah, people on the beaches tend not to wear masks. Are you saying the masks don't make much difference when you're outside? Uh, they, they don't make much difference outdoors because there's not much risk of transmission outdoors to start with. It's the same in the country parks. There's really no need to wear a mask in a country park because you're outdoors, the sun's shining, the wind's blowing. So the, the risk of virus spreading is absolutely minimal. I wouldn't say zero, but it's absolutely minimal. And it's one of the safest places to be outside in the countryside or on a beach. Yeah, but Dr. Cowling, I, I, I like your point of view, but a lot of other people say that, um, you know, when you have a, a jogger who runs past you and he's uh, breathing heavily, and that is also a risk if you're not oh, it's wearing not true. a mask. Yeah, it's not true. I know people say that, but it's not true. So in, in order to have a risk of transmission from one person to another, the infected person is breathing out viruses in their air, in the exhale breath or coughing or whatever, or talking. There's really not much virus in a single breath. You need to be face-to-face -face with that person for a prolonged period of time to have a chance to, to breathe in something that they're breathing out. So if a jogger runs past you and, you know, is just breathing at the moment they pass, that's still only one lung full of air that's coming in your direction with a tiny amount of, uh, of risk. Uh, so I, I don't think that's really something to worry about outdoors. But of course, we have seen gyms. We've seen outbreaks in gyms because of the risk, and particularly when people are breathing more. If there's an infected person, then that's more virus coming out. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Just just to just to clarify, we've we've both referred to uh, Benjamin Cowling as as doctor. He's a PhD, but he's not a medical doctor. Just to just to clarify that, he's an epidemiologist. Uh, let's go to uh, Pang Chuk Kay now, a Southern District Councillor. Good morning to you. Good morning, Mr. Pang. Thanks for, thanks for for joining me here. Uh, uh, What's your view on this? Do you think that the beaches should be open? 
Well, uh, to be honest, um, we can see um, there are so many public spaces who are reopened right now while the beaches are closed. So um, we have received a lot of complaints from our residents and the public. They told, they told us have to reopen the beaches because we can see um, the disease, the COVID, uh, trying to be con- under control these days. But um, we have written a letter to the director of the LCSD um, asking why they were still closing. They are still closing um, the beaches. But their reply is there is no further instruction from the director board of LCSD. And our letter um, still haven't respond, uh, haven't been respond uh, directly. So, um, for for my opinion, I think um, the beaches should open. Um, due to now, you can we, our, 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 our the COVID has been under control right now, but still, uh, I think um, the government officials should have a direct answer to the question why um, there's just still so many public spaces are open while the beaches are closed. Right, uh, but uh, what about some of the social distancing and public health measures, like uh, taking your body temperature, which uh, most restaurants do these days, uh, and also going, uh, you know, into um, a big indoor area? We we um, can't do that in, you know, on the beaches. Uh, yes, exactly. Oh well, I think. Um, or, or could we? Or could you control the access to the beaches? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can stop people getting like on the beaches now. Like they have a gate now. at the entrance. Yeah, yeah and you have a you have a limited. No, yeah. that's what Quat Kaki was talking about. Well, actually, there is a um, interesting phenomenon right now. Um, there are so many barricades out, right outside the beaches in Shaco. Exactly the same and similar to the, the, the situation uh, last year in uh, outside the police stations. <laughs> they set up a lot of barricades and they set up some bo- uh, bodyguard here. They can do exactly the same to, to do the temperature measuring or even they restrict the uh, entering numbers of people. They can do it, but we have still not yet received any um, proper answer to it. So, so you think that a limited uh, number of people can enter like every hour or so and, and make sure the changing rooms are clean and, and that should be it, right? Well, actually changing rooms is another critical e- uh, issue right now because there is still a closure of the toilet. There are still many people can use the toilet right now, even though the residents. But I will let's talk this issue later, 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 later on. But um, I think the government should answer the question directly, and the solution should be uh, proposed by the government. We have to um, raise our opinion, but I don't think this is a good attitude for the government. They just ignore our questions and just answer me. There is no further instruction from the director board of LCSD. I mean, one trouble is if you close one area, then you get a lot of crowding in another area, don't you? Uh, uh, and is that happening in Stanley, in Sheko, that people are they're not going on the gazetted bit of the beach, but they're going onto other beaches or other areas and crowding there? Well, uh, exactly. Um, people can go to the beach. They would go hiking or go any any other way to to to, to release the stress. You know, it's so stressful these days. <laughs> but I uh, um uh, this is not a uh, proper way for government to um, resolve this issue. We all understand COVID is 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 not is no jokes. It's a serious. Uh, issues, but um, I think they have a better way to answer the public opinion. Hmm. Okay, uh, here's some uh, thoughts uh, from uh, listeners. 
Uh, Jim says, are the powers that be aware that by closing gazetted beaches they have driven hordes of people to enjoy the unprecedented beaches in our Saikung Country Park? Yesterday, for example, Long Care One was awash with campers and day trippers with long queues waiting for taxis and minibuses from East Dam putting pay to the notion of social distancing. Surely distancing on gazetted beaches and shower areas can be controlled. It isn't exactly nuclear physics. And uh, Andrew says the paths to closed beaches could not have been more packed on Lama over this long weekend. Where's the rational policy uh, in that? Uh, and uh, Alan says it's quite absurd that beaches are closed when karaoke bars are open. You cannot convince me that there is a logical medical reason uh, to prevent people from exercising in the open air in the countryside. That leaves politics. The government fears any public gathering of people. At Lama Sungshunye, there is a large changing room and toilet block with high ceilings and fans, excellent ventilation, that's been locked for months. People, of course, still swim at the beach or the ungazetted one nearby. And those passing by on the popular walk to Sukku Wan who need to use a toilet can go on the ground behind the toilet as local residents have been increasingly disgusted to report. Um, there have been suggested that there have been suggestions that portable toilets be installed. That would be the worst possible solution to reduce transmission of an airborne virus, considering these are a stinking hot box with ventilation at the best of times, while adjacent is a large airy toilet that's chained up. That comes uh, from uh, Alan. Professor Cowling, I mean, c could you control access? Could you kind of spread the people around a little bit? Oh, on the beaches you can. Yeah. The, the, the changing rooms and the toilets would be a risk for sure. And I, I'm not sure how to, to best mitigate that. But we, we do have the same issue in shopping malls and, and other parts of the city where, where similar risks would apply. Well, you know, I, I was just in um, a waterfront park uh, yesterday afternoon and there were loads of people and there were public toilets that were open. Um, you know, lots of people were queuing up. Uh, but then, you know, people just observed the social distancing and it seems all right, you know, although... Um, um, although there are really, really lots of people. But then I think, you know, for, for the beaches, uh, at least um, it's more in the open air. Um, and and there, I, I really do not understand why, why the beaches are, are still closed. Um, uh, the, non, uh, the problem with the non-gazetted beaches, um, Mr. Peng, uh, you know, do you have any non-gazetted beaches in the Southern District? And have you observed uh, any... Um, uh, you know, any people who have illegally uh, <laughs> swam there? Well, um, uh, we have received some of complaints on there's, this there's issue. Someone was mentioning what they call the Lapsat Beach. Yeah, exactly. Lapsat yeah. Beach, yeah. Yeah, we have received some of the complaints of it, oh, definitely. Um, but this is the issue we talked about uh, a, few, a few minutes ago. Um, the government do not have a full policy answer this um, particular questions about whether the, the closure of the beach, when will we reopen and how it will be open. Because this is a really, um, is a global issue, not only in Hong Kong, especially if we look in UK, there are still a closure of the beaches and the closure of the toilet. People can't answer the nature calls. <laughs> I have no answer to the nature call outside. So um, this is a um, serious hygiene problem. Hmm. Okay, uh, here's, here's an email. This is addressed to you, I, I think, Professor Cowling. Uh, John says, your commentator mentioned that every year we have a 1,000 deaths caused by influenza. How many have we had for coronavirus so far? Pandemic? What a joke. Uh, 
That comes from... Oh, well, it, right, but if you look at what happened in New York back in March and April, there were 20,000 deaths in a very short space of time, and that could have been us. I mean, of course, we didn't have that many deaths because we took such, such a lot of important actions to prevent that from happening. No one wanted that to happen. But it's not fair to say that, you know, because we didn't have tens of thousands of deaths, then there's nothing to worry about. The reason that we did all of the social distancing and that we're still worried about things is precisely because of the risk of what could happen, looking at what happened in northern Italy, looking at what happened in New York. So I'll say again, in New York, March, April, 20,000 deaths, a very similar scenario, sorry, very similar setting to Hong Kong, very similar situation there, uh, but they did not get on top of transmission, 20,000 deaths. That could have been us. Okay, okay here's, here's an email from uh, Bill P., uh, who's a bit disgruntled uh, with the subject line vague medicine in Hong Kong uh, Bill says uh, why are the two doctors in the first part of oh, the program today unable to answer questions first we don't know the details from Korea or Taiwan why don't they know second it's rather unknown controversial etc preceded every statement uh, third the government should dot 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 four Sophia Chan said last week followed by we don't know why don't they know uh, Bill says, the process of giving out bottles with instructions, one, get up at 7am, spit into the bottle the first thing the person does, many will forget, two, take the bottle to a specified place by 8.30, uh, brackets, many won't bother, it's hopelessly inept, Hong Kong people are chronically late in the morning, take a swab and send them on their way, mandatory testing is required if anyone has even the most mild symptoms, penalty for refusing, pass legislation, penalty... Uh, plus 14 days detention uh, if they refuse. Thank you. That comes uh, from uh, Bill. Uh, thanks for that. I, I think to be to be fair to the doctors, I think the point about the uh, Korea uh, and those deaths um, that, that there were deaths that followed have people having flu injections, and it's uh, it's 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 hard sometimes to pin down whether they were dying as a result of the flu injections or exactly what the what the connection was. So I think that's the uh, that's the uh, problem with making a definitive uh, statement uh, about the uh, details from what's going on in, in Korea and its relevance uh, to uh, Hong Kong, uh, to be fair to uh, them. Uh, um, so um, let's go to maybe one more. Um, this is from Jay, who says, when we had SARS, everybody wore a mask and the flu went down drastically. I think it's the same with COVID, because everybody's wearing a mask. There are probably less respiratory problems from dust at the moment. It would be practical if we can wear clear visor masks and open all the restaurants and bars and make Hong Kong productive again instead of killing off the working class. That comes uh, from uh, Jay. Um, uh, Benjamin Cowling, it does remind me that the, the, there have been some kind of uh, hopeful noises uh, coming from uh, various places. I, I think in the UK they have had some success with the uh, with the Ox, so-called Oxford vaccine uh, that's been using. That seems to be uh, promising. And I see uh, Bill Gates is talking about uh, the likelihood being that there will be some kind of vaccine at the beginning of the uh, of next year. Uh, do you take uh, any sort of a cause for hope from any cause for optimism from from those signs? Yeah, so there's more than 100 vaccines currently being tested. Quite a number of vaccines are reaching the end of their clinical trials. And I, I think one or two may have even finished the trials and just analysing the data now, getting ready to report the findings. Uh, I think it's very likely that there will be uh, a vaccine that's proven to be effective before the end of this year. 
But of course, it's then going to take a lot of time to manufacture the vaccine. And the countries which develop the vaccine and the countries which manufacture the vaccine are going to get any doses first. So in Hong Kong, we're going to have to wait. We're not top of the queue. We're not at the front of the queue uh, because we didn't develop any of these vaccines and we're not manufacturing any of the vaccines here. So my guess is uh, we'll be able to get vaccine here by next summer, but not as early as the beginning of 2021. Well, what about the vaccines being developed in mainland China? There are also a few of those. That's right. So it might be possible that we'll get some vaccines from mainland China sooner than we can get vaccines from elsewhere in the world. Um, And then people in Hong Kong will have to decide if they're willing to to receive the vaccines that have been made in mainland China. I think it'll be a more difficult decision for some people. Um, We don't usually use vaccines that have been uh, developed and produced in mainland China. We don't normally use those vaccines in Hong Kong. They're normally only used in the mainland. Um, but for COVID, because it's such an emergency, I think there will be a big push to, to use whatever's available. Are they not generally distributed internationally then? Do they? Uh, not, not usually. So there are some vaccine plants in mainland China uh, which produce specifically for the rest of the world and they're under different regulations and conditions. And actually the Oxford University vaccine that you mentioned, I believe there will be a plant in mainland China to produce uh, that particular vaccine for, for some places in Asia, including maybe Hong Kong. Uh, and the flu vaccine that we use in some years has been made in a plant in Shenzhen, I believe, but under Western factory conditions rather than mainland vaccine uh, production conditions, which are slightly different. Does, yeah, I was going to say, does it make much difference where, the, where it comes from? Um, well, it's not clear. It's not clear. So we, we haven't uh, gone down that path before. We haven't gone down that path before, but certainly the regulations and the requirements are different for vaccines made in the mainland to be used in the mainland compared to vaccines made in the mainland to be used overseas. Mm. And, and before having the vaccine, do, do you think that it is wiser to, um, to you know, ease the, uh, the travel um, restrictions to allow uh, um, tourists to come in? Before or after, did you say? Before, before having oh, the I vaccine. I think it's very unlikely that they'll be relaxed before vaccines... Uh, are widely used. I think after we've got enough doses to vaccinate the elderly and the healthcare workers, then it'll be a, a decision for the government of whether to open up at that point and risk a COVID epidemic in adults and, and children in the community with, where there wouldn't be such a high risk of hospitalizations and deaths, or whether we really wait another maybe three months or six months until we've got enough doses for everybody to be vaccinated and then open back up again. And bearing in mind the economic consequences of staying uh, closed for another three months or six months, I think there'll be a strong push to reopen earlier. Of course, the ideal thing is we can get enough vaccine for everybody as soon as possible. But so, in reality, so travel, the idea be, of travel bubbles, right? The idea of travel bubbles won't work. So, like opening the borders to mainland China, to Macau, to perhaps now Singapore is uh, is in. And perhaps uh, other Asian we'll have countries. To see how popular the travel bubbles are. I think for the the one being discussed with Singapore, there's a lot of testing and there's potential. I mean, maybe other issues as well. Uh, if infections flare up in one place or the other, then maybe the travel bubble would be cooled off temporarily. So uh, I don't know. I think that's just a short-term fix. 
Okay, some more uh, emails, uh, people were talking about, uh, I think especially the large numbers out yesterday in tourists and so on, I know people were talking about what's happening on the peak as well, very, very busy there. Uh, Rob uh, says, I'm living in Tunmun at Butterfly Beach, but it's closed. Uh, when you take the light rail LRT in and around Tunmun in the morning, people are obviously packed inside the carriages with the distance partly as close as less than 20 to 30 centimetres. But this seems to be acceptable, and no one seems to care about it, aside from myself. Uh, and uh, Bill, uh, not the earlier Bill, says, like so many aspects of the ridiculous restrictions, the beaches in South Lantau are fully operational, but not using gazetted areas. Buses are crammed, and the police completely ignore this in favour of mindless permit checks. Social distancing is simply rhetoric. Has anyone in government used public transport since the onset of COVID? That uh, question uh, from Bill. Uh, Mr Pang, what, what, what was it like in Stanley and Sheko yesterday? And uh, do, you, do you want more business? Do you like having the tourists there? Or do you find that it impacts the quality of life? Of course, um, for the uh, restaurant owners, of course, they are welcome for the uh, more and more people visit Stanley and Shekel. But uh, we have to strike a balance between the, 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 the residents as well, between the residents and the uh, restaurant owners. Um, for the um, point of view of the uh, restaurant owners, they are welcome of it, while um, the resident uh, complain. There are so many people getting to Stanley and Sheko not wearing masks and just chilling around. They they they're scared. They are scared to be honest. But uh, but really for, not wearing masks. Yep. Some of them they don't. They don't. Because you don't have to wear a mask in a country park. Is that right? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But but still, they can still um, express their concern of mm. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, a couple of uh, questions just to, to finish off and, and uh, press the counting. Maybe you can help with this. Neil says, question for the doctors. Is there any statistical relationship between those who have had the flu jab and COVID-19? That comes from Neil. I'm not quite sure what Neil is getting at. Uh yeah, I know what he's getting at. Okay. So there, there are some studies, including a study uh, from Hong Kong, actually, uh, suggesting that there might be, in, in the past, might be an increased risk of getting another virus if you get a flu jab. And the explanation's a little bit convoluted, that if you get a flu jab, you've got less chance of getting flu. But there's so much other stuff going around in the winter that you might get something else instead that's less serious than the flu, because we all get coughs and colds every winter. Uh, specifically for COVID, there's no evidence that having a flu jab puts you at uh, any higher risk of getting COVID. Uh, the, the different viruses, the, the, the immunity that you get from the flu vaccination doesn't really make any difference, for better or worse, uh, in terms of your immunity against COVID. So nothing to worry about on that front. Okay. Uh, and one, one final question, just going back to the question of the vaccines and, and I guess where they're produced. Uh, Jay says, can vaccines be used for all people because a Western person's diet and build-up is different to an Asian person's diet and build-up? Comes from Jay. Does the counting, Jay? Yes, yeah, so the vaccines uh, don't seem to, to have a different effect in people of different races or backgrounds or, or people who, with different kinds of diets or, or whatever. But we do know that vaccines will work differently in elderly people, in adults or in children. And that's why for flu, we have a nasal spray vaccine that works particularly well for children, not so well in adults or elderly. So we use it in children. For COVID-19, it's possible that the earliest vaccines we get hold of are vaccines that work particularly well in, let's say, adults, but not so well in children or vice versa. And then we'd have to decide whether we're going to give the vaccines to the group that they work best in 
or we're going to use them in the group that needs them the most, which would be the elderly. Okay, so you may actually give different vaccines to different age groups. That's right. Okay. Well, Professor Scowling, once again, thank you very much indeed for joining us, uh, helping us out, uh, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, Panchuk Kay, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us this morning, a Southern District Councillor uh, representing Stanley and uh, Shek O constituency. Ada, many thanks to you, uh, as ever. Uh, here's the weather before we go. It's going to be fine, dry today, with temperatures up to about 28 degrees. Uh, windier and cloudier, with a few rain patches in the next couple of days, the weather improving but slightly cooler over the weekend. 25 degrees, the latest readings, and the relative humidity is at 68%. The licensing regime for property management has commenced operation. Property management companies and practitioners performing managerial or supervisory duties have to apply for a license. Frontline staff are not required to apply. There is a three-year transitional period. Those not meeting the licensing requirements for academic or professional qualifications, but possessing relevant work experience, may apply for a provisional license first. They can apply for a formal license after attending specified courses. For details, visit pmsahk.org.hk. 9.33, the news with Samantha Butler. The University of Hong Kong's Student Union says it'll consider legal action if two mainland professors are appointed as vice presidents. It's raised conflict of interest concerns over having the university's president on the selection panel, saying he's a former colleague of the candidates. It also wants one of the candidates to confirm if he's a Chinese Communist Party member. Despite the easing of social distancing rules on Friday, which permits tour groups of up to 30 people, travel representatives say there were only a few local tours booked over the long weekend. Jason Wong, chairman of the Travel Industry Council, says each group was only around a third full, but more groups will head out next month. And the Republican-led U.S. Senate has handed President Trump a major pre-election political victory by confirming his Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. The vote largely went along party lines to confirm the lifetime post and creating a 6-3 conservative majority. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. And a very good morning to you. This is James Ross, in for one day only, as Phil takes an extended long weekend. Good for him. We've got a lot between now and... Between now and one o'clock.